Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, I speak with Dr. Vernon Lee, the Director of the Communicable Diseases Division of the Ministry of Health of Singapore. He is a graduate of the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and the Business School at Johns Hopkins. We speak about Singapore's experience with the novel coronavirus. Let's listen. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining me. Let's start, if you could just explain what your job is in Singapore. Thank you so much, and I'm happy to be uh, on this call. So I'm the uh, Director of Communicable Diseases at the Ministry of Health in Singapore, and my job includes prevention, preparedness, surveillance, and response to infectious diseases across the country. And how long have you been in that position? I've been in this position for more than three years now. And uh, during that time, we have had quite a few interesting um, challenges um, due to infectious diseases, both outbreaks that we have to deal with. And also, we have been preparing for, of course, epidemics. um, And that includes dealing with uh, preparedness plans and also building a new national centers for infectious diseases, which is a brand new clinical unit or hospital to take care of uh, infectious diseases patients. Got it. And um, your background is that you're a physician and you're trained in infectious disease and you've got a public health degree and a business degree from Johns Hopkins. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm a preventive medicine uh, physician um, with an interest in infectious diseases, epidemiology. And yes, I have a MPH and an MBA from uh, Johns Hopkins. Great. So I want to ask you about the novel coronavirus and Singapore's experience. And I want to start back from when you saw that this was happening in China. What what happened in Singapore when, when that was going on? So I recall that you know China first reported a cluster of uh, severe pneumonia cases, I think it was 31st of December, 2019. And uh, we were following this very closely. Of course, initially, we did not know if it was a zoonotic disease with limited human-to-human transmission or if it was something more sinister. Of course, to be prepared, we had, in fact, by the 2nd or 3rd of January, informed all of our uh, medical practitioners and healthcare workers to be on alert if we, had, if we see such uh, severe pneumonia cases of unknown origin and to consider such a diagnosis. Very quickly, of course, after that, the disease was reported to be um, due to this uh, SARS coronavirus 2, uh, which causes COVID 19, and a uh, laboratory test was quickly available as well. So we could actually test um, suspect uh, cases for COVID 19. And there was also more evidence emerging from China that there was, in fact, efficient human human transmission. So that was when we were already ramping up some of our preparedness uh, measures, and um, that really caused us to uh, increase our preparedness and surveillance for this disease. I want to ask you about um, testing a little bit. So Singapore developed its own test based on the genetic, the genetic code of the virus. Is that? That's correct. 
So collocated in the uh, National Centers for Infectious Diseases, with, we have our National Public Health Laboratory, which is a, a reference lab in Singapore and also a reference lab for the region. And we developed our own test. And that is basically the foundation of all of our public health response. Um, the whole idea is that we will test and test to detect cases. So our surveillance is based on the fact that we have a robust testing capacity, which we have built over many years since SARS outbreak in 2003. Uh, we are able to, to test quite a high number of tests per capita. And uh, from that, we've just been looking for cases. Um, initially, of course, we were looking for severe pneumonia cases, but we have, we've since expanded our testing regime currently to testing even uh, prolonged acute respiratory infections or anyone with who physicians suspect to be a possible COVID-19 case. When you found, you began to find cases. So now, now let's go to sort of the second phase. So you were prepared, you had your clinicians ready, you had developed a test, and then sure enough, cases started coming to Singapore. So what was your response at that point? So the first um, um, several cases were all travelers from uh, Wuhan City in China, where the largest number of cases occurred at that time. So when we detected our first cases, our plan was very simple. And this was a plan that we had developed again and, and refined since um, SARS and during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. The whole idea was to detect as many cases as possible through our surveillance system. For every case that we detect, we will do active case finding to detect more cases around that individual. And for all the um, positive COVID-19 cases, we will isolate them in hospital and we will do contact tracing to identify all close contacts and we would quarantine them uh, for 14 days. So that would then break the cycle of transmission because the case will be isolated in hospital and all of the contacts will be quarantined and those that develop disease, of course, under quarantine will not be exposed or have infected anyone else. So that has been uh, the mainstay of our containment effort um, since uh, we detected our first case on 23rd of January all the way up to today. And how many cases have you had? Um, so right now, we have had um, now more than 900 cases, uh, but more than half of those cases are imported from travelers to Singapore. I don't, you know, so initially, the, the number of imported cases from China was about, I think, 17 cases. So they were actually fairly small. Um, of course, at that time, uh, by the time we identified some of these cases, they had likely seeded some local transmission, but not much. And of those 900 were you able to um, isolate them all and try to find their contacts, or how, how did that go? Yes, indeed. So it, it's sort of a, a tale of two, two sort of a phases. Um, the first phase, as I mentioned, was um, travelers from China seeded some local transmission. We managed to contain that. But then, of course, the disease now has spread across the world. And it's a pandemic. And because there are now a lot of returning um, residents um, from many countries, including Europe, the US, and elsewhere to Singapore, we've had a lot more imported cases compared to the, the initial imported cases from China. But of course, right now, we're a lot more efficient at detecting cases. So the time from onset to isolation has decreased substantially. So we are able to isolate whether it's imported or locally identified cases very quickly. And our contact tracing capacity has been you know, ramped up many fold. Um, so we are constantly trying to stay ahead of the virus by increasing our capacity, whether it's our capacity for isolation, capacity for testing, capacity for contact tracing and quarantine of contacts, and also ramping up our healthcare resources to deal with cases. Most of the cases are mild, 
um, but we, we isolate every single case in either hospital or community isolation facilities, which are sort of private hospitals that we have you know, used to uh, manage some of the cases where the more severe cases would be held in our national centres where we are able to provide, for example, ICU care or even uh, beyond. Wow. So, I mean, that, that you're able to do that because you don't have too many cases at one time and you're able to get um, everybody into a, a secure place. Indeed, that's correct. And, and we have also um, been training our healthcare workers um, to deal with COVID-19 cases um, since, uh, you know, day one. In fact, all of our public uh, general hospitals have negative pressure isolation rooms and many other single sort of uh, isolation rooms that we can actually put COVID-19 patients in as well. So it's not just at the one hospital, but we are able as a whole system to deal with you know, quite a number of COVID cases. And so um, have you had a lot of transmission to healthcare workers or not so much? Um, not so much. In fact, in fact, most of our healthcare workers have actually obtained a, acquired a disease either because of travel or in the community. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of healthcare workers, so uh, healthcare workers are no different from anyone in society. And so they are, of course, liable to be infected in the community. Uh, but so far, uh, we've had very few uh, cases. And how many, how many people do contact tracing in Singapore? Like when you say you have to scale up many times, how many people are we talking? What's the, F, what's the anti-coronavirus public health force right now? Sure. It is actually a whole of government effort. So it's not just the contact tracing teams, but we have, for example, uh, officers doing the quarantine of operations, uh, phone surveillance of people under quarantine and others. So right now, I mean, the, the force doing just the, the contact tracing um, operations numbers into the many hundreds. And, and that's a huge scale up from uh, previously. And although we are able to, you know, deal with the number of cases that we are seeing now and number of uh, uh, returning travelers have decreased. So, so in fact, uh, we have been seeing a decline in number of cases over the past few days because uh, we're seeing as travelers now. So our contact tracing operations are able to handle that. But even then, we are not resting on our laurels. We are expanding our contact tracing efforts, uh, sorry, our contact tracing resources and capabilities as we speak so that in case there's any increasing case in number of cases, we will be able to deal with it. So we are constantly looking at expanding our capacity in anticipation of, hopefully we'll never get there, but if we ever get there, we'll still be able to deal with it. And uh, where do you find the extra staff to do that? So we have a lot of volunteers. Uh, of course, this is, the, this is not the, uh, the peacetime group of contact tracers. So we have been doing sort of... Um, trainer-trainer sessions uh, with volunteers. Uh, we have also uh, received assistance from um, our police uh, because they are really good at doing investigations, obviously, and other government agencies as well who are coming in to support us um, in this effort. So it is really a whole government effort to uh, ramp up our capacity. Let me ask you about social distancing. While you're doing this really aggressive public health response, what was going on in society in Singapore? Yeah, so in Singapore, we've adopted a balanced approach and what we call a risk-based approach to containment that is proportionate to the risk that we face. So we try to stay a step or two ahead of the virus and try to anticipate what the spread might be and to roll out some of the measures, or precautionary measures, I would call them. But we don't go to the extreme as well. So for example, um, schools and workplaces are open um, and people are going around their business with, of course, abundance of precaution. And we have been introducing social distancing or physical distancing measures over the past couple of months to try to reduce spread. So, for example, at this moment, 
at this point, um, we have suspended um, you know, events, mass gatherings. Uh, we've closed some entertainment facilities, but not food and beverage uh, outlets. So people can still go to the restaurant and eat and so on. But we have limited gathering sizes to uh, 10 or less. So you can still get together with your family and close friends, but not in large gatherings. We have um, recommended a safe physical distance, for example, of at least one meter between the individuals. And the public's actually been catching up quite quickly. If you go to, uh, for example, food establishments now, you can see that they have crossed out alternate seats and have uh, put in place measures so that you know, people are seated one meter apart in lines at the uh, shopping malls or supermarkets, they have marked out, you know, sort of markings on, on, on the ground, sort of one meter apart, so people are sort of spaced out. So people are, are adapting to this and they realize that it is necessary. The other thing that we've done a lot of as well is public education. So we think empowering the public is very important. It's not just a, a sort of government rule or law that people will follow. People want to feel empowered that they're in charge of their own lives. And what we have uh, communicated is a few very simple things. Number one, good hygiene. This is respiratory hygiene and hand hygiene to reduce transmission. Secondly, be socially responsible to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your friends. And that entails if you're ill, put on a mask, go see a doctor. If a doctor gives you a medical leave, please self-isolate at home. Even though it's not necessarily COVID-19, uh, you would reduce spread of any respiratory disease to your family and loved ones. So by doing this and by having the community behind us, uh, we are in fact able to keep the, uh, the outbreak in control while still maintaining some semblance of uh, normal activity. Well, it's really, a you know, for places, other parts of the world, like the United States, where we're now, many of us are under stay-at-home orders. The idea that there is some future that could look like Singapore is very appealing, but I wonder whether you would agree that it is your public health capacity that makes that possible. It's your ability to do isolation and quarantine effectively that makes you more comfortable keeping the restaurants open and you know having a, a more open society than uh, other places right now because you have that very powerful public health uh, capacity. Would, would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I, I, I would think that that is a fair statement. I mean, of course, it's not just the public of capacity, but it's like I mentioned, a sort of whole of society being behind this whole uh, effort. But certainly having a good public health system is extremely important because we have, you know, the confidence that we are able to identify cases. We're able to ring fence and contain them. Well, I mean, of course, we can't identify every single case out there. I mean, we do have unlinked cases and unknown chains of transmission, uh, but these are kept to a minimum, which means that I don't have a runaway outbreak at this point, uh, we don't have extreme, you know, widespread community transmission, which allows us to do the social distancing measures that we have mentioned without going to any sort of extreme measures that have its own issues as well. I mean, extreme measures have a lot of sort of a health, societal and economic uh, impact. I, mean, I think we're all figuring that out here in the United States right now. Let me ask you two, two final questions. One is uh, Singapore has now really... Um, been seen across the world as a leader in how to respond to this pandemic. And I know you've been doing, um, from your office there, talks around the world. What, what's the most important advice you're giving to people? I think the um, top two advice that I would say, firstly, is you cannot underestimate the virus. You always have to stay a step or two ahead. And so we try to anticipate what might happen over the next few days or few weeks 
and roll out measures that are, as I mentioned, proportional to the risk that we think we will be facing and to get the public behind us on those uh, risks. I think the top two things that I've been telling everyone is you have to build up your public health capacity, test, identify every case, and ring fence those cases and their contacts. I think if you can do that, then uh, you would at least have confidence that the outbreak is not going out of control. Um, secondly is transparency and communications to the public. I think the public wants to know what's going on, and we have been providing as much information to the public as possible in a timely fashion, and also to empower them through educational messages and, and so on. So once you have the whole public and society behind you, then you actually work as one unit to try to contain the virus. Very well said. My last question is, I'm looking over your shoulder at a certain diploma you have on the wall. And uh, Johns Hopkins, I wonder whether there's anything from your student days that have been helpful to you in this is it, or, or any inspiration that you picked up in Baltimore that has been helpful to you in Singapore. Oh, very much, very much so. A lot of the inspiration for me getting to, uh, you know, infectious diseases, epidemiology, and taking up a public health career has been shaped during my time in, in Johns Hopkins. And the context I've made, lessons I've learned, um, both in the academic sense and in practical sense as well, have put me in a good state for dealing with COVID-19 and other challenges that I face in my career. Um, of course, the, uh, the business administration um, degree has also helped in managing different stakeholders, uh, because a lot of the work that we do here is actually in stakeholder management. So it's, tr it's really understanding the needs um, and the wants of different stakeholders and trying to find a common ground so that people can come together and work together as one. Well, um, you are absolutely making everyone in Baltimore proud. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Anna. Stay safe, and we hope that we will, as a collective, um, you know, sort of global effort, be able to uh, contain the coronavirus pandemic and uh, will come out stronger as a global community. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.